Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Beauty Biz Show. Today, my guest is Michael Puglis, and he is the CEO, the third generation CEO. It's a family-owned business of Circadia, and he is a very well-informed engaging educator, writer, and really an asset to the skincare industry. We had a great conversation and gosh darn it, he was so interesting that we ended up speaking for over an hour. So if you're anything like me, maybe you're a fellow cosmetic chemistry geek and you love learning about ingredients and products and the story behind the brand, then you are absolutely going to love this show. So stay tuned. And you can find more information out by visiting circadia.com. So again, welcome our guest, Michael Puglis, who is the CEO of Circadia Skincare. Hello, and welcome to the Beauty Biz Show. I'm your host, Lori Crete. I'm a licensed esthetician, spa owner, industry consultant, speaker, and journalist, and the founder of the Beauty Biz Club, which is the only professional success-based society designed to dramatically up your bookings, increase your profits, and provide you with industry-specific resources that are needed to succeed. If you'd like to know more about how you can become a member of the Beauty Biz Club, please visit beautybizclub.com. Now I invite you to join me as I feature inspirational messages from industry gurus and practical tips to tap into your best success. Stay tuned for some serious beauty biz entertainment. Hey everybody, it's Lori Crete here. I want to welcome you to the Beauty Biz Show and I want to introduce our guest today who is Michael Puglis and he is the CEO of Circadia. Hi Michael. Hi Lori and hello to everyone. Uh, hello to all the viewers and listeners. Thank you so much for being here today. I know you just got in late last night from the Chicago show and that's really where I want to start today. I want to talk about the trade show. Yes, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. Uh, you know, I've been wanting to be part of this and participate for some time. And thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity. Well, I'm excited because I have a million questions for you surrounding your story and your brand. But I have this uh, FOMO, the, you know, the fear of missing out by not being at a trade show. So let's talk about it. How <laughs> You just got home late last night. So thank you for being here. I, I know I used to be a flight attendant, what it feels like to fly late at night and try to get back into the routine the next morning. What was the Face and Body Chicago Midwest all about? I have to say, I, I share the same fear of uh, missing out as well. Um, you know, I do a lot of events, a lot of shows all over the country and more international every year. Uh, but the show itself was, was great. It, it was well attended. Um, it's the second year the Face and Body has been in January. And for the second year, the, WAP, the weather has cooperated. And uh, we had a little bit of rain, uh, but rain is much better than snow in Chicago. So it was great, beautiful. Everyone came out, um, and it was a great energy. So I, I thought it was I thought it was very well attended for for this event. And it seemed like um, there was more people there this year than there were last year. So that's always a plus. Did you teach? Were you in a classroom, or were you just? I did. I, I did. I had two manufacturers classes uh, there. We did one on an introduction to cosmetic chemistry. And then on the second day, we did one on a physiological approach to skin peeling. And they were both pretty well attended, engaged audience. And I find that Chicago in particular, I think more so because they, it's one of the states that does definitely require CU credits. They really come to learn. 
you know, and um, they, they they were certainly curious about the topics that we had. And I do my best to engage the audience as much as possible. And I, I think they enjoyed the material. I feel like my Midwesterner girls, the, the beauty biz practitioners I know from that area, they're hungry for education. They don't seem to get it as much as the coastal areas do. Right. Yeah. You know, I would tend to agree with that. I mean, obviously, there's so many different events, but the, the Midwestern events, I mean, there's a couple now uh, that are education driven. But I would say face and body, all the events that they do are really well known for their education and they organize them around education as well. So, yeah, they they definitely came for it. And, and there was a lot of really good topics that were presented there. Uh, some things that I probably would have enjoyed sitting in on as well. But, you know, Busy, busy, busy. There's always stuff to do at those shows. Well, Katie Anderson, who, you know, is the editor of Skin Inc. magazine, did a great job of covering it on social media this year. Every time I went on my Instagram, she was posting something that made me feel left out by not being there. I guess that's what the job is. She does a a fantastic job. Katie is absolutely wonderful. And she was kind enough. And this is this is the 30th anniversary of Skin Inc. magazine. Oh wow! So uh, and she was all the all the duties that she has, all the job responsibilities and things that she is responsible for coordinating. She had enough time to bring over some cake to our booth to help us to celebrate the 30th anniversary of Skin Ink Magazine. So she's just absolutely wonderful. She is. I wonder if she sleeps. She has three little kids. She travels around the United States. She's writing all the time. So I admire, I admire her love of this industry and devotion to it. But. I want to ask you, first of all, are you a licensed esthetician? Did I see that? I am. I am. I'm a licensed esthetician here in the great state of Pennsylvania. And um, I got. I went to get my license 2006 is when I thought it would be a good idea. I started working for Circadia a couple years prior to that, but I, I found that I, I need a little bit more credibility among the uh, professionals. And I thought that, that would be a really good place to start. So I, I did get my license, certainly helped develop some of the skill set that I have now in my career, but I never, never worked behind the chair. I've never taken a dollar for service, I would say. I've done (laughs) done thousands of demonstrations over the years, but uh, I've never been a behind the chair working esthetician for for service, but I certainly have nothing but respect for our profession and and, and the hard work that it takes to, to, to be a success at what we do. I, I did not know that about you. I've followed you for a long time. I've actually used your cocoa enzyme, which my teen clients love that treatment. Oh, yeah. Been one of our fan favorites for sure. And we met in an elevator briefly at Face and Body San Jose, but I did not know you were a licensed esthetician. So that was an exciting find while I was doing research for the show. Yeah, well, uh, and, you know, I, I do a lot of lecturing and a lot of classes on um, – you know, all, all variety of topics, everything from skin physiology, ingredient technology. Uh, but I do really enjoy the hands-on portion of training. And I, I still do a fair amount of that. I'm not, not nearly as much because I've got amazing trainers that are that, that can do that and work with that while I'm, you know, doing some of the, you know, the higher level education on, on the products and skin conditions and things of that nature. But I still do love rolling my sleeves up, putting on the scrubs and, and working with the clients. So absolutely. It's, it's awesome. I mean, it's certainly what really what attracted me to wanting to do more as far as knowing how to actually apply product is having that license. And I think it really is important. And I certainly, I certainly wear it as a badge of honor as well. When I talk to the 
the attendees in my group, I say, I am, I am one of you. I'm not just a manufacturer. I'm not just here to sell product. I am an esthetician. And I certainly think that they appreciate that as well. Well, I, I think so, too. It gives you much more street cred, right? Yes. It's all about street cred. <laughs> you get us. <laughs> they are my people. I love it. So there's a few things I want to talk to you about. First of all, I thought it was a trend happening where people were really paying attention to what happened to our skin and how to reverse aging, so to speak, and how to heal the skin if you treated it differently, AM versus PM. But then I'm reading your bio and researching your company, and you guys have been doing this all along. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that really is the main premise of our of our product line. And, and there's a lot of intricate details that go into the science of circadian rhythms and more specifically what's called chronobiology or the science of time. And it's it's so gratifying now to see that there's so much attention to to, to circadian rhythms. I, I mean, I'm not sure if you're aware, but the Nobel Prize last year was one for research done on circadian rhythms. And chronobiology is something that's a much broader Science now. There's an entire website de- dedicated to to chronobiology. But for as long as the industry has been around, people have had day creams and night creams. But we have a very specific reason why um, we would want certain products and ingredients for day versus night. Before you tell like the details of it, will you just give a brief maybe definition or description of what a circadian rhythm is, so our listeners understand a little more deeply? Yeah, absolutely. I would be. I, I'd love to do that. So circadian rhythms. Are um, it's a rhythmic pattern that's based essentially on day-night cycles. So as the as the Earth is rotating, we have certain amount of time during the day and certain amount of time during the evening, and the body responds to those day-night cycles. And in the morning, when the sun comes up, you have ultraviolet radiation. It's hitting the eye. It's affecting a certain part of the brain that's called the suprachiasmatic nucleus. I know that's a pretty technical term but it activates all of these different areas of the body. And there's actually, at this time, some estimates would say nearly half of all of the genetic code, all of the DNA, in some way is affected by these circadian rhythms. And we have genes like clock and period and cycle that are all activated uh, by these circadian rhythms. And it all has to do with day and night cycles. So again, the skin and the body are defending during the environment from the environment during the day anyway. And they're engaging in these natural repair mechanisms at night. So we can seek out and look at ingredients that are going to help assist towards that effort, protecting during the day and repairing at night. And again, just kind of taking that one step further. And this is a concept that my grandfather spent decades developing, conceptualizing before he ever had a brand. That was my next thing that I wanted to segue into. This is a family owned business that your grandfather started. Yes, yes, absolutely, absolutely. And he he actually started the company along with with my mother and my uncle in 2001. And it, it happened kind of an after the fact because for, for many, many years, he was developing and testing and making products for many, many other companies. He had been a consultant and an educator in the field for, for decades. So he actually joined what's called the Society of Cosmetic Chemists in 1971 while he was still a general practitioner and it was basically to help treat some of the skin conditions that he was seeing in his office uh, psoriasis eczema skin cancer uh, so he was looking out to seeking better treatments for his patients and he stumbled upon this this group of professionals that were involved in making skincare products and it kind of snowballed from there. there's a lot of a series of events that happened but 
throughout the 70s and the 80s, he kind of gained a reputation as the go-to guy to make skincare products for for the industry. And then, of course, you know, really was the first esthetician to embrace fully the skincare industry and start educating the the professionals. So, you know, when you talk to, you know, the the, the estheticians who have been around since the 70s and 80s, since the inception, really, of, of American aesthetics, they know who he is. They see him as the godfather of, of professional skincare in many ways. He's written a few books even on the, the topic, right? He, he has, yes. He has several. The Advanced Professional Skincare was his first actual textbook that he published in 1990, which is you know still to this day so relevant and, and an absolute gem, uh, and then um, redeveloped that book in 2007 as the Advanced Professional Skincare Medical Edition. Uh, but along with, in conjunction with Alured, who owns Skin Inc. magazine as well, he's published multiple versions of physiology of the skin. And a lot of these are, are expanded ideas on articles that he has published with Skin Inc. magazine. So, again, uh, going back to the fact that this is the 30th anniversary of Skin Inc., he was one of the original authors, uh, along with Mark Lees and Carol Phillips, um, Marion Sims, Rebecca Gadbury, they were all authors of that very first issue. So a lot of those topics that are in these up-to-date books were part of those original articles. Well, So this has been in your life since you were a child, I imagine, the beauty industry, the beauty world. You know, it really has. It really has. I kind of, in, in, in so many ways, was born into it. And, and there's been, you know, when I, when I take a look back and I really reflect on things at, at, at given times, you know, I get to look at all the different people that have been involved through throughout those processes. I mean, individuals. And, and, and then when I hear a story about, you know, this person was in our house and doing treatments on, on, on your grandmother in the kitchen or, you know, this person, we went out. Who was this person? Is this a name we uh, recognize? <laughs> um, yeah, absolutely. I would say so. Christian Garces from Sotis is one of the, one of the early people that I have a memory of. Actually oh, that's seeing. awesome. Seeing this, you know, seeing this this happening, and and you know, just so many different people. I mean, even um, Horst from Aveda uh, was one of the people that my grandfather worked with early on, and I remember you know meeting him and seeing him, and they actually spent a lot of time in Minneapolis, and I went out to visit them there when I was like couldn't have been more than nine or ten at that point. So you know, all these experiences that have that have happened and that I've been around for so long, but. But really, I, I didn't get into the business, of course, until until I was out of school. And uh, my grandfather said, well, what are you going to do now? Was this like your first job? Like, did you step into the company? It literally the was my first job. Lori, I, I, I really don't know how to do anything else. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? I think you found your, your sweet spot early on. You're lucky. Well, I went to school for business management and marketing, and I really was going to pursue a career in finance because I had some friends that were involved that, that had graduated before me and they, they were doing very well with it. So, um, and I, I told my grandfather, he said, well, we have all these businesses here. Why don't you come on board with, with one of them? And I said, okay. And he looked, I looked around and I, he said, what about Circadia? And I thought, oh, that's interesting. And at that time it was very small. I mean, there was not a lot, it was a new company. And again, they, all the owners, my mother, my grandfather, my uncle, they all had successful businesses of their own. There was research and development. There was contract manufacturing. There was publishing. Uh, my mother had her own hand lotion product. Uh, so there was there was a lot of things going on at that time, and Circadia was, was brand new, and there really wasn't a lot of attention put to it. There was uh, some great products and some great followers of the product, but no one 
was really doing a whole lot with it. And I said, okay, this is something I think I can get on board with. But it wasn't until I saw how people responded to him in the field. I knew what an esthetician was without knowing anything about skin or skin care. But when I did my first trade show way back at Face and Body in 2004 in, in San Francisco, I thought, wow, this is really special. People absolutely love this man that I love so dearly. And I knew that I really wanted to be a part of that. And I wanted to help see that grow. I was absolutely hooked at that moment. And then, and that's you know really what helped to ignite my passion for, for everything. Now, people that have followed you for a long time talk about how you really helped this business grow tremendously. And also during a time where the economy failed, will you talk about how you expanded the brand during a time when a lot of people were closing their doors? It was tough. I mean, really, I... Again, we had some great success. So when I when I came on, and again, I don't want to give you the impression that I came on and I, you know, was just guns blazing and things were great. It was it was tough. I mean, 2004, they said, well, I thought it was me running the company when I agreed to, when I signed on for this. I thought I was going to be in charge of everything. I wasn't. I was packing boxes. So that's where <laughs> I spent my first is actually learning the names of products and and you know where they were actually positioned on the shelf in the warehouse. So I did start at the bottom up. And it took me a little while to kind of get my bearings for that. So I, I did that first for a while, but then very quickly started to talk to the estheticians and, and work with them and, you know, wherever I could, answering phones. And that was really important. I look back at it now and thought, think, well, that just laying that foundation was just absolutely critical. But once I really got going, 2005, 6, 7, it was amazing. I mean, we built very quickly and it was a really great time, I'm sure, as you remember, in the industry. And then we were doing shows. And at the, to that point, there were we had only done one or two total cumulatively. But then I found out where the community was, where everyone was going to learn about products. And uh, it was we were going gangbusters at that point. And then all of a sudden, the, the economic collapse just changed everything. And you know, I'm sure you remember the the talk of, well, we're a recession-proof industry. Clearly, that was not the case. So things really started to dive, but we, we kept our head above water. You know, we made some, I made some really good decisions, but I also made some really bad ones that could have, that could have sank us. I mean, I'm sure as, as many other companies did, but, you know, we persevered, came through on the other end, and, and then a few years later, we came out stronger than ever um, with some really great products and some really loyal customers. So and then from there, it's it's been great. I mean, I think now we're at a point where the the economy's strong, the industry is very strong, and there's a demand for great products like ours out there, uh, not just domestically here in the U.S. but also in the world. And that's really been the focus: is how can we build the brand not just with great products? Because let's face it, there's a lot of great products out there. There's a lot of great brands, but how can we differentiate ourselves with education, with great customer service? Uh, with programs that people keep coming back for. And, and that's really what we've been really kind of putting our efforts and energy into the last year or two. Well, I'd say probably the last three years, but that's been the momentum shift for us. And I think that's why so many people that have known us and seen us around are starting to recognize us more. I think that during the failing economy, it made people really tap into what their purpose is. And it sounds like that's what you did. Like, what? who do we want to be in this industry? And... Yeah. Um, being a little bit more focused, and and I, I think, I think every brand at some point has, can have a brand identity crisis, and look at well, who who are we? Where do we need to be focusing our energies and efforts? And 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 we had a little bit of that as well, 
Um, but once we got our collective minds together and really looked at where our strengths are and focus on those strengths, um, I think that's really been one of the key success driving factors for us thus far. Well, I want to ask you a few questions now that I know our listeners are hungry for answers to, the, to sure, what's absolutely. going on, the shifts that are taking place in our industry. And you're out there so much. You're actually out there speaking to people and you're kind of behind the scenes in the business aspect of a skincare brand. So let me ask you, let's talk a little bit about this whole online purchasing that everybody's up in arms about, right? Like, do you have any advice for somebody listening in that wants to sell to their clients when they're in the spa and not have them leave and go purchase something on Amazon? You know, it's been hard. And and that's one of the one of I will I will venture to say mistakes that I made um, when we were all in survival mode is to take big purchase orders from companies that were saying, well, look, everybody else is selling to us online. Um, you know, and a lot of these are companies that are not even in existence anymore, but you know, it's, it's hard when you're, when you're trying to make your numbers at a show or, or elsewhere to say no to a big purchase order when everyone else seems to be doing the same thing. But once you open up Pandora's box and start selling online, it's very difficult to, to put that back. Um, but yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a big challenge. So we've, we spent a lot of time, a lot of energy and resources trying to, trying to pull that back in. And our policy is that we do not allow online sales. So if you sign on, uh, if you become a Circadia partner, you have to sign uh, a contract that says that you will not sell either through Amazon or eBay or uh, on your own website. And it's it's tough because some people want to. We know that we're foregoing income for that, but we want to maintain our professionalism as as a brand. So we're we spent a lot of time chasing them down, and we've partnered with some some great companies that have software. I'll give a little plug for one, which is MapTrap that have really helped us to track those individuals. So they can identify not just who they are, but what they, we call them diverters in the industry, who's actually selling product online, which SKUs of our product they have, and if they're supplying an Amazon warehouse or if they're actually selling from their, their home. So it's really been a great kind of behind the scenes tool to look at Amazon and what's going on there. Because as we know, Amazon does not protect the brand, they protect the the seller so it's a it's a big challenge and and i think every brand has kind of looked at that and said well how do we wrap our arms around this and this has been our way of doing it and if you look at it now we really initiated this at the beginning of the year and i've got a great inside team that's dedicated to doing this and they've done an incredible job and if you look up circadia on amazon you'll find onesie twosies out there they're not allowed to be out there we have not been able to identify them and if we do we shut them down immediately, but you'll even see some of our retail products being sold for double the price. Uh, you so know, some- thank you for speaking to this because I think that uh, many practitioners think that you guys are, you know, the larger brands or the, the skincare brands are out there promoting Amazon and they don't understand. You have even had to set up like special teams within your your facility to, to try not to, you know, to try to get these these sellers off Amazon. So, well, we have, well, when we we're doing our best to shut it down and, and clearly, uh, you know, certain brands, you know, if you're selling direct from your own website, it, it's, it's probably not part of your agenda to try and pull that down. And, and, and we know that for some markets that sell skincare products, it, it's not a big deal. You know, if you're, if you're in a place where you're using a brand that sells direct to the consumer, that's not a big issue, but it's for the estheticians that may be a single operator or maybe operating out of a day spa that only has a handful of employees there. The last thing that you need is for a consumer to come in, pay for a service, 
go to the retail area, take a picture of that retail area that you have invested in, their professionals have invested in the education, and then have them say, well, I'm going to buy for 20% off of Amazon. There's nothing more deflating or disheartening than to hear that. So we don't want our estheticians, we don't want our partners to experience that. So we kind of had to step up and say, look, we've got we've to do something about this as quickly as possible. And I don't think we'll ever eradicate it because – you know, for example, if you do a cash and carry show, there's nothing that's actually stopping someone from buying two cleansers, turning around and putting it on an online store. It's going to happen. But um, we do our best to shut it down. And the supply is limited at best uh, when that does happen. And, and, and of course, you know, some of the some of the talk when 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 we hear the subject is, well, it's fake product or it's expired product. And yes, in many cases, it, it, it is. Um, but I find more often than not, when we get a product back, it's someone who is breaking the rules and doing something that we that they have signed a contract to say that they will not do. Wow. So, you know, let's just reiterate this because I think this is going to get you a bunch of new <laughs> customers. You do not allow online sales. Not in any way, shape, or form. Okay. Not well. Selling at, well, you can't sell from your own website. You can't have a shopping cart. Um, we are a professional-only brand. With that being said, throw out a URL right now because people are going to want to learn more about your brand. Sure. We're just Circadia.com is the easiest place to take a look at us. Info at Circadia.com is a great way to contact us directly. And 1-800-630-4710 is our customer service line. So you can call there. Um, but we also have other great outlets that we've expanded. We have a Circadia educational forum that gets a lot of activity and we've got a lot of great supporters out there in some of the other forums on Facebook as well. And I think that that's great, too, because there's so much information sharing that's going on in the industry. It's unlike anything that I've seen. And in the last couple of years, it's just kind of gone crazy. It, it has positives and negatives to it, of course. But there's a lot of information and there's a lot of really smart professionals out there that have the ability to share their information and experience like never before. I'm going to spell out Circadia, C-I-R-C-A. D-I-A, just for anyone who wants that. Okay, so now let's talk products because I have a list of questions here to ask you. As I mentioned earlier, I, I'm an enzyme girl more than a peel girl. You know, we all have our, our uh, what I like to call profitable passion, and I feel really comfortable doing enzymes. So love the cocoa enzyme. If any of you guys out there are doing teen cleans, they look at it as such a fun treat, and then they go tell all their friends about it. I just had a chocolate facial. Oh, nice. Absolutely. Yeah, that's that is our most popular enzyme. And we love enzymes as well. We do have some peel offerings and and, and I, I find that some professionals are all in when it comes to peels. Some will will are absolutely not. Uh, and some will kind of tend to dip their toe in the water a little bit on the more conservative and certainly the, not the aggressive. And of course, that's a good policy. I mean, not everybody needs heavy chemical exfoliation. It's not appropriate for, for all skin types and not a one-size-fits-all philosophy. But um, our cocoa enzyme, uh, just a couple details on that, is it, it's three enzymes. And in fact, all of our enzyme flavors, if you will, we have a cocoa, a raspberry, and a citrus, contain a combination of multiple enzymes. And there's uh, bromelain, of course, from pineapple, papaine from papaya. We use trypsin, but we don't use an animal-derived trypsin. We actually use a bacterial culture. So there's no animal byproduct. And, of course, in today's PC climate, certainly uh, that's appreciated as well. But we have all three of them in each product, but each enzyme has a different level of what's called specific activity. So we measure strength of acids and pH. The lower the pH, the stronger the acid. 
but the higher the specific activity, the more active the enzyme is, meaning the more protein it will digest the longer it's on the surface of the skin. And the cocoa by far is our most conservative and great for not just sensitive skin types, but all skin types. Plus, it smells like chocolate. Who doesn't love that? I know. You know what? It's very inviting. It'd be great for anyone to pop in over Valentine's Day or, you know, make that your special. And, you know, I it's funny because peels just maybe I don't have the right education or the right training. And I'm not saying people shouldn't do them because absolutely that's what makes us not have competition, right? One person specializes in something, another But I had a conversation the other day with my new esthetician who has PCOS and has, you know, breakouts. And she said, I said, is there a time when your skin was clear? And she said, yes, when I was doing a mild peel, like once every other week. So they do have their place in our market for sure. Right. Well, well, and again, I I would say that the the peel concept is it's so broad because there's so many different types of peels and and more than any other topic in our industry, it's, it's certainly not one size fits all. And just again, a little bit of an example, you can have different bases of peels. And traditionally, it's always been ethanol or combinations of ethanol and water. And the, and the, the, the goal with ethanol is to penetrate the skin quickly. I mean, ethanol is a natural delipidizer. So it gets into the skin, it penetrates the sebaceous follicle and anything that's solubilized in that ethanol, whether it's glycolic, lactic, salicylic, mandelic, trichloracetic, it carries it in there. And if you've got a high concentration and a low pH, it's going to break down a lot of epidermal skin cells. So that's not appropriate for everyone. But we do have lower concentrations and different bases. So you can have different types of gels, different glycols that will have a much bigger molecular structure and essentially suspend those acid molecules at the surface versus penetrating. So you've got a much more gentle exfoliation. You've got more control as a practitioner. And also you've got much less trauma, much less damage that's being induced. So there's a lot of different versatility. There's a lot more versatility when it comes to peeling concepts than there, than there ever has been. So what about lactic? That seems to be my favorite because it's lightning. Will you talk a little bit about lactic base peels? It's a toss up between lactic and mandelic right now as far as favorites go. But lactic is definitely a, a, a great standard to work with if you're just getting into the concept of peeling because not only is it brightening is a tyrosinase inhibitor, but it's also hydrating. It, it stimulates glycosaminoglycans, natural moisturizing factors in the skin. Hyaluronic acid is one of them. And you don't even need it to penetrate very far into the skin. You can have lactic acid kind of being absorbed by surface skin cells, and it will trigger cytokines, cell communicating messages back down to the dermis that will induce its hyaluronic production. So it really is so incredible. The other thing is if you have a little bit too much lactic acid, that can be pulled into the cell and directly into the mitochondria where it can be converted into pyruvic acid and used for energy metabolism. It can create ATP. So there's just really so many things that lactic acid is great for the skin for. But again, concentration and delivery are are, are paramount here. It's really, you can't just put a a huge amount on the skin and expect it to do all those things. You really got to make sure that you're applying it appropriately and again, going back to your, your idea of enzymes, there is an argument for using some enzyme therapies and acid therapies together if you're doing them a little bit more gently. Let me ask you, do lactic and mandelic, are they basically anti-aging or do they help at all with acneic problematic type skins? Certainly the mandelic acid is, is one that's a little bit more geared towards treating acneic skin because it's antimicrobial. Um, and, I mean, Dr. Folden's one of the ones that really started to um, pioneer the use of mandelic acid <clears throat> in professional skincare 
and got that that started initially. And he used it quite actively in high concentrations because it controls bacteria so well. But it also has the added, added benefit of being a tyrosinase inhibitor as well. So if you've got a mature clientele that has occasional breakouts, especially those that are darker Fitzpatrick types, the acne lesions are healing, but they still have that pigmented lesion that's left behind. The mandelic acid is not only going to control the bacteria, but it's also going to affect the amount of pigment that comes from that inflammatory lesion. If you put act, uh, lactic in combination with mandelic, now you've got a really powerhouse combination together that's hydrating, brightening, antimicrobial, and it's just a really winning combination. Good to know. So I, I just need more education in that area because I'm soaking this up. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, well, you're welcome. And it's not just it's not just peels either. I and mean, then there's there's a there's a reason for why you can use some of this in a home care setting. Even cleansing washes of lactic and mandelic are great combos. And I think they're kind of really starting to take the place or at least certainly compete with the amount of glycolic acid that's been on in the industry for a number of years. Not that it's the worst thing in the world, but glycolic acid is something that we don't use in the circadian line at all, mainly because there's so much of it available on the market. And if it is overused, it certainly can do great things for the skin when it's used in moderation. But if it's overused, you get more breakdown of the skin than you need and a certain amount of transparency, which is you know kind of prominent and visible with chronic overuse of glycolic acid. Well, you kind of segued right into what my next question was going to be, and that surrounds cleansers. I want to know a little bit about your microexfoliating honey cleanser because I am from Vermont. I grew up country girl, and my uncle who lived across the street had a honey bee farm, and I've known the medicinal benefits of honey since I was a child. Oh, so yes. Tell me about this cleanser because I got to try it. I want to. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> well, I, and I'll preface it with saying this is our most popular cleanser. Um, and there's some exciting news about this cleanser that I really wish I could share with you today, but I can't just yet, but I'll, I'll, I'll use that as a little teaser for our next conversation. But, um, it, it, what we're using here is, um, a sulfate free surfactant blend and that's the base. And I think everyone at this point knows that sodium oral sulfate is something that should be avoided for the most part. Um, but <clears throat> as it was being pushed out of the industry as something that was one of the no-nos ingredient wise, we started looking at other alternatives. So what we landed on is a blend of these surfactants that are not only gentle to the skin, but give great foaming properties, which is really the biggest plus of sodium lauryl sulfate is the foaming that you get. So they're surfactants. They're designed to emulsify surface oils and break them down. But if you're over emulsifying, it's obviously going to emulsify the oil of the skin, the lipid content of the skin and create irritation. So this particular cleanser and why it's so versatile for almost all skin types really starts with that particular base. The scrub portion of it is actually the organic beeswax. And this was our answer years ago when we developed this to the polyethylene beads. Yeah, because they're they're being banned in certain states, right? Or everywhere now? July of 2017 is, when, is the last of when the beads were supposed to be removed from all personal care products. And we saw this coming down the pike early on when certain states started banning them, and now they're banned completely on a national level because, of course, the plastic itself gets caught up in water systems and then the fish eat it, and then we eat the fish, and it's a, it's a huge mess. But aside from that, it's also very harsh on the skin. Polyethylene plastic is something that can, if it's being overly abraded in the skin by the consumer, creates little tears 
And that's a big problem. And of course, I don't, I'm sure I don't have to tell you or any of your listeners about the St. Ives apricot scrub as far as the, the crushed nutshells. And it's not even apricots, it's walnuts if you look at the, the label. And, and the same issue there. And of course, that's the bane of every esthetician's existence. But we <laughs> are looking for something that's a little bit more gentle. What could we have that still has the rigidity of a, a scrub type product, but is not so rigid that it's actually going to tear into the skin? And we landed on this organic beeswax. And I can't tell you how, how amazing it is as a mild exfoliating cleanser, but just a pleasant experience because again, it, it has the aroma of honey. It has the healing powers of honey and it's, it's hydrating as well. So it really is the most versatile cleanser that we have. And very rarely do we come across someone that doesn't like it or does not really enjoy using it. The only drawback of course, is that it is a surfactant. So if you have someone with chronically dry skin in a very dry climate, they need all the lipid content that they can get. So they would want to utilize something that's more lipid content than surfactant based, but it is, it is an amazing product. And I definitely have to get you one if you've never used it before. No, I was looking through the website and I'm like, Oh my God, this has my name written all over it. <laughs> like Everything that, that it says in the name. So thank you. Okay. Well, yeah. I know you've used a lot of products and I'm sure you get a lot of products sent to you, but I would love to get this one to you and have you try it. I, I won't be so bold as to say it'll change your life, but I know you will enjoy it. I believe a cleanser can change your life and I'll take you up on that offer. Thank you. I would love to try out some of the cleanser. Is it, So is it just the honey, like the beeswax, that's the honey or is that also an ingredient within the cleanser? The honey extract is in there as well. So that is the added benefit. And we don't use any synthetic fragrances in any of our products. So if you smell an aroma in the product as you do with the, with the, the cocoa and, of course, with the honey as well, what you're smelling are aromatic blends of extracts that are put together. There's a company that supplies the industry with these. They're certainly a little bit more higher on the cost than a, a fragrance, but then you don't have any of the drawbacks of a synthetic fragrance, and you also have the added benefit of the, the therapeutic benefits that the extracts themselves bring. I love so, yes, it. there's the extract that's there, and it just, of course, smells absolutely amazing. People literally try to eat it sometimes. Well, and you know, this is what I find with skincare products. If they are inviting in the fragrance area, some people want to use them. So therefore they're getting better results because they'll commit to using it twice a day. They get excited about it. So aromatherapy in a skincare product is huge. Yeah. Having an, uh, an aesthetically pleasing product that smells good, feels good is definitely a huge driver. And that oftentimes is a challenge for a clinical clean science brand like ours that is trying to make effective products that'll give the results that we want, but also make it that the client's going to want to use it and just love experiencing it. And I really think we've, we've been very successful at that to date. And it's always something that we keep in mind with our, with our new launches and with things that we bring into the line. Well, I have one more question about a product that I was researching on your website, and that is the emergency eye lift. Because when I hear that, I think about that product that's out there that changes the eyes in two seconds. <laughs> yes. So again, and this is well, and, I, and I'll give you the background. And you're right; it is an instant gratification product. It's which we all want you. as women, and we now all, some men too in the skincare realm. We all want and need, and really, our our focus, oftentimes, almost always, is how, what can we do for that long-standing improvement. And we have things that that will do that. We have great collagen stimulators, elastin stimulators, salt proliferators, antioxidant production. But this was something that we said, okay. What do we do when you've not been diligent with your product and you need something and you need it tonight? <laughs> so we often call this our Cinderella product. 
I was going to call it the hangover product, but I like Cinderella too. Either or, either or. <laughs> there we go, back to our AMPM. <laughs> right, exactly. AMPM, sometimes you need it in the morning, sometimes it's better at night. But it all starts with a multiple weight hyaluronic acid base. So we're using hyaluronic acid at multiple levels. And what we have is the native hyaluronic acid, which is really the big one. And that's 1.5 million Daltons. And of course, the Dalton is the unit of measurement. And anybody that's familiar with the uh, the Dalton rule, anything that's bigger than 500 Daltons doesn't penetrate the skin. So what this type of hyaluronic acid does is it sits at the surface and draws in moisture. And that's really the traditional hydrating, quote, hydrating effect that we see from hyaluronic acid in, in, in the right climate. If it's too dry, that, that doesn't happen anyway, but that's a different story. But then we have one that will actually help to plump up the mid layers of the skin, the granule layer, even down to the spiny layer. And the low molecular weights are designed to help to penetrate ingredients. So when you have water-soluble ingredients, it'll drive these in a little bit deeper. So all of our serums start with that base. And so that really helps to give that immediate plumping. But really, the stars of that particular product are two they're, they're referred to as polymers, but they're really immediate tighteners. And one of them is an extract from a plant. One of them is actually an algae. And they're called Pefacare and Pefatite. And they do give that immediate tightening sensation. Now, you don't want to put too much of the product on because if you load it up too much, it'll have a tendency to kind of dry. And then what they don't show you in some of those immediate gratification products is that it does look great in two to three minutes, but you come back in about 15 minutes and the skin looks crepey. Right. This doesn't do that. This gives the hydrating effect, but it gives that instant immediate lifting. And I got to say, it's it's amazing, not just for home care, but if you're doing any kind of European style facials where you're just doing basic mask and exfoliation, this is great to add on after that service, because what's the first thing that a client looks at after their treatment? They look at the eyes. And if that looks lifted, they're going to come back to you again and again and again. So they look at their eyebrows and the whole area looks amazing. So this would be a good product to add on to even an eyebrow wax where you want to maybe entice somebody to come back for a facial. You know, I had never thought of that before. And I have so many waxing clientele that I work with. I just, this is a new avenue. I'm going to immediately, as soon as we're done with this conversation, make a phone call. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? Marketing is my profitable passion. I love skincare, but I also just love finding ways to use different things and, and really welcome new clients in or, or your existing clients, welcome them in for more. So I'm going to start doing this. I'm going to order some of that. Well, that's a great market tip for me right there. I appreciate that one. That's amazing. Oh, good, good. Well, glad to help you because you're giving me so much information. So I know I said I wanted to go 40 minutes today, but do you have a little bit longer? Because I have one more question that I think we really need to talk about. I've got plenty of time. So yes, as long as you've got time, I've got time. Okay. So let's talk about this because it's something I want to hear your expertise on. There's so much controversy out there regarding stem cells. Okay. Plant versus other forms of stem cells. Are plant-based stem cells effective in treating and healing and rejuvenating the skin? You know, it's an excellent question. And let's, let's actually preface that question with uh, what actually are we using? I'm clear with this in most of my classes and also when it comes to our educating on the product itself, we're not using stem cells in any product, whether it's human-derived, animal-derived, or plant-derived. What we're using are stem cell extracts. And in most cases, when it comes to the plants, it's a stem cell culture extract. 
And I, I, I kind of take some of the manufacturers to task at times because they're not educating the, the professional and they're passing around some misinformation. So I, I know most of the suppliers that, that offer stem cell technology from plants. And what they're doing is they'll take a portion of the plant and uh, the Apple's the one, of course, that kind of set the pace here for the buzz of, of stem cell technology available. And they'll take that plant and it's usually something that has uh, a, an exotic appeal, relatively limited supply, um, some rejuvenating factor or a molecule in it that is good for the skin. And they'll create a trauma. It's either the fruit, sometimes it's the stem or the leaf or the bud, and they'll injure it, right? And after a day or so, that injury, the area of injury will start to grow a callus of stem cells. And once you have that callus of stem cells, it's completely removed and in a lab setting, it's put inside a medium, something that's going to allow that callus of stem cells to continue to grow. It's cultivating a higher number of stem cell culture. We're taking the amount of stem cells that are growing as part of an injury response to the plant, and we're creating more. So you're taking that culture and putting it, it's usually a compound called isomalt, which is a sugar-based compound that allows those stem cells to then consume it. It's nutrients for that stem cell culture, and then they're making more. They're making a lot more. So by the time it's completely consumed all that compound, you've got this massive culture of stem cells. From there, they'll take that culture and they'll shred it. They'll homogenize it and completely shear it. And at that point, the stem cell itself is dead. It's gone. But what they can do is they can fraction out and separate the molecules, the metabolites that are part of the growing stem cell. And in, in many cases, what's part of that growing stem cell, those individual molecules have great benefits for the skin. Some of them make the claim of, again, being collagen stimulators or collagenase inhibitors. Some are built on proliferative effect. Some are antioxidant protection. But because there's so many different ones available they can do a lot of different things. And what it's interesting about it is that they're also reducing the carbon footprint. So there's a green element to utilizing stem cell culture extracts. It's not normal harvesting methods. So it's not like we have to harvest vast amounts of these botanicals in order to get the extracts, which is where most of our extracts that come from in professional skincare, that's how we get them. These suppliers will buy them from farmers, they'll boil them down, get the extract, and then that becomes our skincare ingredient. But that fractionated material that's in that stem cell can then be either dried or be suspended in an inert base. Some, most of the time it's glycerin, a vegetable glycerin, and then that becomes the ingredient. But to be clear, there is no such thing as a living stem cell in a cosmetic product, certainly not in the case of plants. And that's not the claim that any of the manufacturers that make the ingredients are making. And I think that's where a lot of our skincare manufacturers have missed the mark. They're miseducating the professionals and then ultimately the consumers to say that, hey, these stem cells are in this product and they're somehow taking the function of our own human stem cells. Not the case. Not at all. It's stem cells have been my biggest mystery in skincare. I'm like, what are they really doing? Do, do they really work? Like, I can't grasp the concept in my brain. You have to think of them as an extract. They're an extract very clever way of getting a good extract, something that is in relatively limited supply. And here's a really good example. Centella asiatica is a great material to use. It's an incredible collagen stimulator. But if you buy it from a supplier and there's only a couple, it's incredibly expensive. It's to the tune of something like five or $6,000 a kilo. And you have to use it at a pretty, pretty significant amount. So that drives the cost of the finished product up significantly. 
And the consumers, it's it's priced out. Most of the consumers aren't going to pay that much for a product, no matter how good it actually is. Some will. But we can actually take that same plant, create a stem cell culture, and we'll get the Asiatic acid from it. Not in as high of a concentration, but still at enough level of performance, and it is a fraction of the price. So it's really determining the costing and also the availability of that said plant, the availability to, to, to grow and cultivate and extract that plant. And a lot of them are things that are, again, in relatively limited supply. The apple, part of the marketing story behind the apple, of course, is that it, it's relatively exotic. It grows in high altitudes in the Swiss mountains, and there's just not enough of a supply. But it does have in its natural state this extreme longevity, and some of it is because of the natural antioxidants that are found in that apple that that sustain its life so long once it's actually been picked. And there is some validity to that. Of course, there's a little bit of marketing behind it as well, but there's a lot of validity to what's actually growing inside these plants. Now, when you look at human-derived stem cell culture extracts, it's a completely different story. Again, what we're using or trying to get is what's actually in the cell. There is no human stem cell in a product. There's nothing that would sustain the life of a cell, human or plant otherwise, in a cosmetic product, it just doesn't work that way. So whatever's inside that growing cell culture, and it can come from uh, hematopoietic stem cells, which is bone marrow, it can come from fat cultures, it can come from umbilical cord, there's a number of different sources that are available, but it's really the growth factors that are in each of those cultures that we're trying to get into a product, growth factors and, and even cytokines. The problem that I have with most of the suppliers that I've talked to and I've seen is they can't tell you exactly how much of which growth factor is in that stem cell culture. And that's a problem because you have some things like epidermal growth factor and fibroblast growth factor and insulin-like growth factor that are there in the skin anyway doing great things, but you also have things like vascular endothelial growth factor, which is not something that you would want to put on a skin type that may be prone to vascularization or rosacea. You also have pro-inflammatory cytokines and anti-inflammatory cytokines. So unless there's a very specific method of actually separating out and finding which growth factors are in those cultures, it can be a problem if you're putting it on the wrong skin. It's the one thing my clients seem to really want to know about before they put it on their skin. Like, where are these stems coming from? I have a lot of vegan clients. Uh, it, like, stem cells are something that people are really curious about and they want to know more before just slapping it on at least my clients i guess they're you know educated and they're always looking for healthy alternatives and healthy approaches to anti-aging so well and and here's my thing and i i have to be be careful how vocal i am with some of my opinions but what i would i would venture to say at some point that um regulatory agencies will take a closer look at this because it is you, you find more stem cell technology in the um, in the medical area medical aesthetic field and I think at some point they're going to look at these type of materials and say wait a minute not only are we um, promoting them in a certain way in the type of language that we're using but these are actually these are actually molecules that the body makes these are hormones those, these growth factors are hormones, and we're actually not only applying them to the skin, but in many cases, when we start to look at treatment modalities that are combining, like microneedling and some of the other things, we're penetrating them pretty deeply into the skin. And I don't want to scare anybody, but I'll cite a study, and I've talked about this before. So any of your listeners that have been to my class and, and have heard me tell this, many years ago, and I don't know exactly where the study is, but it shouldn't be too hard to find, um, there was a group of researchers in New Zealand that were trying to get um, sheep's wool to grow faster. 
an epidermal growth factor as great as it is for the skin, and it, it does some pretty impressive things. I will, I will say that. They were trying to get this wool to grow faster, so they were injecting just below the surface of the epidermis into the dermal tissue epidermal growth factor, and they were getting the wool to grow faster, and there was no compromising of the integrity of the wool, but all the sheep died subsequently from gastrointestinal bleeding because F epidermal growth factor not only controls the proliferation of hair and epidermal tissue, it also controls the proliferation of the inner lining of the intestine. So some of these things are not just functioning within the skin, they're functioning in other parts of the body as well. Now, do I think that anybody is going to die from using growth factors in skincare? Absolutely not. Um, but there is something to be said uh, for systemic effect of things that we're actually applying to the skin, especially after we've done something like microneedling or some of the other enhanced penetration modalities that we do now have available to us as skincare professionals. So how would you tell our listeners to educate themselves more on this topic? You know, it's hard because I've spent a lot of time looking at it as well and the community is torn and it really oftentimes comes to which, which brand are you working with? You know, you can get, you can get conflicting information from one brand to the next. And that is, and, and of course, you know, this is coming from me. I of course own my own skincare product. So I no doubt have an agenda as well, but um, you have to dig deeper into the research and the literature. I always point um, people that I work with, estheticians that are looking for more answers to Google Scholar, which is a great resource for them to look at what the look at peer-reviewed journals. I mean, it's these are peer-reviewed journals and studies that have been done. So it's not the end-all, be-all when it comes to finality on information, but it certainly is a good idea and a place to look for where the professionals that are in that particular field, what they're doing and what they're saying and what they're reporting. So, and things do change. I mean, clearly things change all the time uh, and the information is, is always, uh, there's always new information that's coming out. So um, I, would, I would point towards that direction. It's one of the reasons why we have not gotten into the use of growth factors. I certainly know the value of using them, but I do think that there is potentially a liability at some point with using them. And I'd hate to promote something that we don't have 100% security in knowing that these are not only effective, but also um, in the long run safe and not something that we will not have access to at some point. Um, if I were to use growth factors, I, I will say this, I would not use any human or, or, or animal derived. What I would use would be bacterial engineered cultures. And some would say that those don't work, but that's not the case. You can actually use a bacterial culture and E. coli is, is the most popular. It doesn't sound great either. But E. coli bacteria is very effective at growth factors. Ah. So we can actually use E. coli bacteria to create epidermal growth factor. And I've worked with suppliers that come from South Korea for developing growth factor serums. And, I'm, and I've developed them. We have them into play, but it's not something that we brought to market because of, obviously, the uh, the issues that we just talked about. But they, they you can do that. You, can, you don't have to get them from human-derived or animal-derived sources. You can get them from bacterial cultures. Everyone hears the word bacteria and they freak out, but that's really a lot of our healing modalities in the healthcare industry use bacteria, certain bacteria to, to help us. It's the strangest thing. When I first heard about it as well, they said, yeah, it's bacterial engineered culture. And, uh, and when I learned it was E. coli bacteria, I thought this is the strangest thing I've ever heard. But it really is It really is the case. And oddly enough, so much of those the, the materials that are used in medicine as well are used from bacterial cultures. Well, that's one of the most beautiful things about our industry, I think, is the ever-changing technology and ingredients and... You know, just when you think you got it all figured out, something better hits the market. So 
<laughs> it's like well, and, and again, and I, 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 I'm always looking at different trends, and I'm aware of trends, and I, I tell the the estheticians, the professionals that I work with, to be aware of all the trends. But don't jump all over every trend. You can't do that. Uh, there has to be some validity to what's coming out next. And it does take a little bit of time. I mean, there's a reason why you'll you'll see an ingredient launch and it'll take two, three, four years before the market actually grabs a hold of it. I mean, you look at some of the peptides that have been launched four years ago that are great. They're not making their way into skincare products until now. I mean, we have the benefit at Circadia of the fact that we actually do research and development. We, my grandfather was doing that for 20 years before he made the decision to actually create his own brand. So that actually came first before marketing skincare products. We were actually much better at making them than we were than we were at selling them. So that part came later. It's having those relationships again with the different suppliers and being familiar with manufacturing procedure and research and development that I think has really also given us so much additional benefit into communicating with the professionals what's really going on. I'm actually not an early adopter of anything. I like to kind of sit back, watch everybody else, (laughs) do what they want to do with it, and then basing my decision on that. So yeah, and in this industry, it's hard because there are a lot of bright, shiny objects out there. For sure. I mean, especially with treatment modalities as well. I think that's definitely the case. Um, that every, but everybody does want something new. And we're always clamoring for what is going to be the next hottest thing and who's going to be first to bring it to market and, you know, and make the biggest impact with it. So we always, as business owners, have that as well. But I, I agree. Being an early adopter is not necessarily the best thing because it can fall flat and there can be it can be pulled out from underneath us at any moment as well when it comes to regulations. And that whole bright, shiny object and wanting something new trickles down to our clients. I have to tell you that I'm coming up with some new marketing ideas to share with estheticians that are in my beauty biz club because I have noticed for years now, I'll be walking out of the treatment room, finishing up a facial, and I'll say to my client, do you need any home care today? And they'll they'll say, do you have anything new? So I'm starting this whole new marketing approach based on that question that I get asked all the time. And I'll share more with you on that next time we have a conversation too, because people love new stuff. So how do you provide that for your clients and then not go broke by investing in something new every week, right? Right. You know, it's a challenge. I mean, as a consumer myself, I too am affected by the bright, shiny object (laughs) deal. But yeah, absolutely. I would love to hear more about the marketing and love to get more involved in what you're doing on that end as well. We'll have to bring you in to teach in the beauty biz club because you've been around. I like out of that. That sounds like fun. Yeah. And it will be fun. You've been around the beauty bids block quite a few times. I bet you have some great stuff to share with our listeners. So winding down, let me ask you, are there one or two success tips, keeping in mind, we have all kinds of beauty practitioners listening and that you'd like to share that maybe you've discovered over your journey in the beauty industry? Sure. You know, and this is funny because again, in constant reflection mode, I'm looking back now and it's, it's really, I've got an amazing team. And it really, it takes a village of people to keep something like this going and growing all the time. So if you are a a single operator and you're looking to expand, making sure that you've got the best people, really seeking out the best people and and bringing them into your team and taking the time to to research who's going to be a good fit. Don't just bring in somebody because you think you need to fill a, a void right then and there. So that, that would definitely be my number one. And and that's something that I've learned and, uh, you know, really learned the hard way because, you know, one, what's the, what's the phrase? One bad apple can spoil the bunch. Well, you know what? That's the truth. And it's funny you bring that up because that is a hot topic right now. How do I find good help? So 
Right, right. And and that that probably be the number one. The number two, of course, and I know it's somewhat cliche, would be, you know, education. You know, just staying on top of the oftentimes the basics, skin structure, skin function. These are all things that sometimes get lost and, and, and that we don't come back to often enough, because if we know that, if we know skin structure and function, physiology, anatomy, uh, we can understand how the ingredients actually work and make no mistake about it. Our, our skincare manufacturers, circadian included, we're, we're standing on the performance of our ingredients and our finished product. And unless a professional has that background and has that understanding, they're susceptible to, you know, some smoke and mirrors. And, and we do have that in the industry as well. So that would be my, that would be my biggest advice is just keep educating on, understanding how the skin works and understanding ingredient technology as well, because there's a lot of information that, that floats around out there that I listen to. And I'm just thinking that doesn't add up at all. <laughs> Something you said earlier that I wish more people, more educators like yourself would speak of, teach on is also know your climate. I feel like we go to these trade shows that maybe, you know, in Vegas or Chicago, and we aren't even really wrapping our brain around what our clients need in our demographic. I'm in Palm Springs and my skincare offerings are very reflective of my external environment here. So, you know, even touching on that, and you said something earlier, you know, no, if your clients are in a dry climate, this cleanser may not be perfect for them, or this cleanser may be perfect for them. Absolutely. I, I, I pack my daily and evening skincare routines based on where I'm flying to that weekend. <laughs> I love it. And we need to sell that way too. That's how we can truly avoid our clients going on Amazon and purchasing something like speak to these, these things that maybe, you know, your esthetician next door isn't taking the time to educate that way. Sure. I agree a hundred percent. Well, I want to thank you so much for being here. I feel like a smarter practitioner, <laughs> ready to head back to the treatment room myself. <laughs> well, that is so kind. And again, I really appreciate the invitation. And um, I know you've done an amazing job and you've got some uh, some very loyal and committed followers. And I would love to be able to you know get involved more with what you're doing and looking forward to seeing you at the next show. I'm sure you'll be, where, where will I see you next? You know what? I'm speaking in Dallas. Are you going to be at the Dallas show? I'm speaking in Dallas as well. We'll have to get together. Perfect. I'll see you there. And maybe we'll chat some more about getting you into the Beauty Biz Club for more teachings like this, because this was really incredible. I would love that. Okay. Awesome, Michael. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Go recover from your jet lag. You're very welcome. Thank you so much, Lori. I appreciate it. Okay. Have a great one. Thanks for tuning into the Beauty Biz Show. I hope this episode leaves you feeling inspired to build the beauty biz of your dreams. If you'd like to know more about how you can become a member of the Beauty Biz Club, the only professional success-based society designed to fuel your success by providing you with the ongoing resources that are needed to excel in the beauty industry, please visit beautybizclub.com. Again, that's beautybizclub.com. Club.com. Also, if you'd like a copy of my free report, Top 10 Secrets of Successful Beauty Biz Practitioners, please visit LoriCrete.com. Crete.com.